Hoody ho! Hello there, ladies and gents. Welcome to episode 62. I just want to jump into it because it's a little... I mean, it's not my longest episode, but it's, it's a little longer. Uh, this is when my guy Ken, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy, man. I, I, you know, it's one of those, you know, there's great parents out there, but there's extraordinary parents, and, and this is one of them. So I'm just going to shut up. I hope everybody's doing well, and uh, yeah, welcome my next guest. All right, guys, so we're here with another good guest. Um, so I found this guest again on Podmatch, which has been finding me some great guests. Uh, he's a very sweet guy I just met. I mean, literally just met. And, um, you know, I really was reading his story. It's, it's very um, inspirational, and I wanted to tell it. So uh, why don't you, you know, tell us your name and obviously where you're from and, you know, a little about yourself. Okay, well, my name is Ken Atkins, and I'm... I live in uh, Newport News, Virginia, which is down by Norfolk. Uh, I'm from Texas. I was born in Texas, grew up on a dairy farm there and taught school there and worked in the newspaper business there. And so I moved from Texas to Virginia uh, in 2019 uh, at the invitation of my daughter and my son-in-law. My son-in-law, we're in Newport News because he's in the Navy and he's stationed here until um next february and so they invited me to come up and move up here with them um they were going to buy a house and they wanted to uh, ask if i be bring my son i have a 29 year old son uh named danny and he has a condition known as angelman syndrome and uh, so they invited me to come up here and they could help me with danny and then i can also help them with the house and so uh, it's been a wonderful thing. Uh, so tell a little bit about Angelman syndrome. Um, it is a chromosomal defect. It's a deletion in the 17th chromosome on the maternal side. And it, it uh, manifests as severe mental retardation, um, very poor balance. Um, he functions basically as a two-year-old and always will. Uh, physically, he has no physical problems. The only pr physical problem he's ever had really was a seizure disorder, and we still control that with um, medication, but we only give that to him as needed. And so, uh, was this he's something very healthy? What? Sorry, I don't, yeah. I, 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 cause I, I like to tell the guests that I can't wave my hand since it's not video, so I just I yeah. may cut you off a couple right. times, but it's no, not. that's fine. Interrupt me. Um, so, so it, it, this condition was this diagnosed as soon as he came out was this something that you no. can see in the okay, womb or? so yeah no you can't so um the uh the condition we when he was first born there was no indication there were any problems if we didn't really uh he had problems nursing and uh um so we he couldn't nurse and so we put him on a bottle and he was having, uh, he had failure to thrive because he wasn't getting enough food. And so we kept, a friend of ours told us to try a different kind of nipple on the bottom. And uh, I remember the nipple was called a nuck and it has a, it, it more resembles a woman's actual nipple. Well, so it makes it easier for the babies to take it. Well, what we figured out later, the problem was that we didn't realize it until much later. He didn't know how to suck. And so what he, the reason the nut nipple worked for him is he flipped that bottle over and the nipple upside down his mouth and he was flicking it with his tongue. And every time he'd flick it with his tongue, it would squirt milk out. So 
So again, we didn't think it, he seemed like just a normal baby, but at the uh, six month checkup, he started to fall behind some of the developmental markers and things like, um, you know, he wasn't rolling over and he wasn't um, uh, able to hold himself up at all. Um, I now have, I, I have a granddaughter. My first grandbaby was born. Uh, she will be six months old in a couple of weeks. And so it's really interesting now to watch her develop. And it reminds me of what he could not do and what led us to the doctor. Well, we went to the doctor when he was six months old and they were like, well, they, they, they did not know what he had. And so they just said, let's start doing some genetic testing. And we began this quest that took us from this, we started when he was six months old and we didn't get an answer till he was 20 months old. So 14 months of uh, all this genetic testing spent literally tens of thousands of dollars because uh, we were self-employed and, and uh, didn't have insurance. And so we, they kept ruling things out, but we can never determine what it was. And we had never heard of Angelman syndrome. Uh, when he was about uh, 18 months old, I guess, uh, they had decided they were just going to hang the diagnosis cerebral palsy on him, which is kind of the umbrella uh, diagnosis they will give to people with special needs like this. Who, Because at this point, at 18 months, he still was not able to even hold himself up on all fours, much less crawl or sit up or, and... Uh, he uh, he had no no meaningful language, um, and so ironically, his uh, his grandmother was living in Florida, and she saw she was not a sports fan at all, but she saw a picture on the front page of the her local newspaper uh, a, a story on the sports section about a baseball player for the Florida Marlins Marlins whose daughter had Angelman syndrome and how he was uh, funding uh, a new uh, research uh, program at the University of, I think it was University of Florida, and they were setting up the Establishing the Angelman Syndrome Foundation there uh, and to get information, you know, get word out about this. Um, it's a pretty rare uh, condition. Uh, it was not discovered until 1964 in England when Dr. Angelman uh, identified the exact genetic defect. Um, prior to that, it was known as happy puppet syndrome because these kids will, uh, when they're little, particularly, they hold their arms up out to their sides and wave them up and down like they're a, a, a puppet. And they're always smiling and laughing. And if you've ever seen the movie Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, they, uh, the character Happy uh, is possibly a uh, was uh, the source the source for that character may have been an Angelman child because Happy is always smiling. He walks with a very wide gait, which is very uh, true of people with Angelman syndrome, uh, and and he waves his arms all the time, and he's nonverbal, which all of that is true of my son. He's nonverbal and. He walks with assistance, but when he does, he walks with a very, keeps his feet very far apart, and he's very unbalanced. And uh, so, at any rate, um, we, after uh, 
my uh, uh, mother-in-law sent us this newspaper article. We approached our doctor and asked her what she thought. And she said, oh, no, no. I've seen Angelman kids, and they're way more involved. They're way worse than your son. So you don't want you don't even want to go there. Don't even think that because that's a really bad thing. And so we pressed it, though, and we actually contacted the Angelman Foundation in Florida, and uh, they sent us the specific uh, genetic screening that needed to be done. So we went back to Dallas to the clinic where we had done the genetic testing and gave them that information, and they did the screen. And so on in Thanksgiving, uh, uh, we uh, got a call uh, from our doctor who was very upset and very um, embarrassed because she had missed it, and it was definitely Angelman syndrome. At the time, it, we didn't really care that much because we had found this program in Philadelphia. We were driving from Dallas up to Philadelphia to go to the week-long program that we felt was going was gonna to help him because they work. It's a place called the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential, and they work with parents who have brain-injured children, and they have amazing results with them. So we were all excited about that. So, yeah, we didn't know anything about any of this and and to this day now you we run into a lot more angelman cases nowadays um than we used to but uh and it's becoming much more i don't think there's more cases out there i think it's just become more recognized two and so um two quick questions uh, did yeah how how old were you when you when when you had him and well yeah so uh, we were kind of uh, uh, old, old parents. I was, uh, I turned, uh, 40, uh, right after, uh, my son was born and he was my first child. My wife, uh, was just a few years younger than me and she had a son by previous marriage who is, you know, uh, 20 years older than Danny. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so anyway, yeah, we, uh, uh, we were, but, but that's the other thing too, is that when we, because of our age, when we went to the doctor, uh, the doctor asked if we wanted to do uh, amniocentesis to determine if, uh, you know, that's a common test they do with older parents to determine if the child has some kind of defect. However, Angelman would, they would not have picked up Angelman. Uh, generally, that what they're going to pick up in is uh, very severe cases, maybe of CP, or I think they, they're pretty successful picking up downs syndrome but there's right. nothing they can do about it and we we didn't do it because it's like well if you can't fix it what's the point right we just we'll just uh have the baby and so um, and we have another uh because of our age though the doctor said after danny was born they told us they said you know if y'all want another child your biological both of you your bi- biological clocks are ticking Y'all need to do this. So we na- we have a daughter who's a 14 months uh, younger than Danny, and her name's Chrissy, and that's who I live with her and her husband here in, in Virginia. So, I, well, I asked that question. I wanted to ask you your age because I wanted to, to know, like, your mindset going in. Like, did you know what you were getting yourself into as far as with your son? Oh, oh, absolutely not. I didn't know what I was getting myself into as a parent. I mean, I was 40 years old. I had I was the sixth of seven kids, right? right? And so I really wasn't around. I had one little brother uh, who was four years younger than me, but 
we didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of cousins and nephews and nieces and, you know, I didn't have a, a lot of family I had watched raise kids. And so I just kind of had a passing knowledge and a passing interest. I really wasn't interested in, I, at 40 years old, I'd given up on the thought of, I was too busy trying to make a living to think about having kids, but it happened. And, and I wasn't unhappy about it, but I certainly wasn't, um, you know, hadn't spent years practice, you know, trying to make this happen and doing all the research. And certainly, I mean, I never knew I, and when I was in school, I graduated from high school in 1970. Well, back in those days, the special needs kids were totally separated from us. They had their own little building kind of outside of the main building and we never even saw them. They never, they had their own lunch periods. So there was very, very little lack of interaction. I, uh, so I, I, you know, you'd see them around, but I had no direct involvement with any special needs kids. Right. Uh, so this was all brand new to me. So, um, so I didn't come in with it. The good news was, is I didn't come with any, come in with any preconceived notions one way or the other. Right. Yeah, so, that's good, yeah. um, so, are you, but yeah, I'm, so here I am, I'm still taking care of my son and I'm about to celebrate my 69th birthday. It's hard to believe, you know, wow. and, yeah. but that adds, that adds in, you know, uh, I've had to face the fact. And one of the reasons I'm here is within the last few years, I've had to face the fact that, you know what, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but there is also beyond that. There's a time there will come a point where I won't be able to physically care for my son. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in pretty good health and pretty good shape. And I mean, we, I take him, we walk every day, three to five miles. I push him in his wheelchair and, uh, and I'm very adamant about maintaining my physical health, but that's something new that's happened in the last, five years I used to not I mean I was a heavy drinker and I was not I was very active at work I worked um, pretty physical work but I didn't I didn't uh, you know mostly just through my drinking I, I just had I'd gotten into bad health and so uh, but yeah I mean that's 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 the other reality right that we all the caregivers you you not only have to focus on the care that you're giving them now and next week and next year, you got to think for them. I mean, you are the person that controls their life. And so you got to think 10 years down the road, you know, and, and to pass the point of where um, you can do that. And, uh, and you live in fear, you know, for me, um, when I work, I worked as a, a construction supervisor for about five years for a, uh, housing we built half million a million dollar houses and and one of the things i tell them is i will not get up on roofs and i won't get up real high on ladders because i can't afford to fall and break an arm or a leg because i have to be able to muscle my son around in and out of bathtubs and in and out of vehicles and even just getting him up you know off the floor i mean i've got to have uh, my strength to do that and so it does impact um, it's just a never, it's a reality that's always there with you. And it's always in the back of your mind. And, uh, well, you also so, said off mic before we started, you said that you know, and your wife basically bailed. So you are a single parent. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah. So, um, we'll get up to that. Uh, right, gotcha, so, so. Uh, uh, so after we went, so we went to Philadelphia on the way up there, we found out that Danny had Angelman syndrome. 
and that the the prognosis arrangement is they will basically at age two they kind of just max out on um, the uh, their their development now uh, and there is no cure and there is no treatment for that. I mean they just are who they are. Well, now, now through CRISPR technology, gene editing, because it's a genetic defect, through gene editing, they're actually doing some amazing things. And there's hope maybe that someday they'll be able to go in and fix Danny's gene that, that's uh, uh, messed up and, and it'll change it. I don't know. And I don't, if, that's, if that happens, that's great. But I can't count on that, right? I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just living my life, you know, with the expectation that um, that he's going to be all the, the way he always is. And and one of the big changes that happened in my life was, um, at, so we went to Philadelphia and we did the program. We came back, and it, we had great, great. Uh, as soon as we got back home, we started the the assigned program they gave us, and it's a lot of. Um, a therapy, hands-on therapy, and uh, and it involves to do it right. You got to have a team of about three people to do it, and um, I mean that was our life when we came back to Texas from Philadelphia. We spent the next uh, six months, just eighteen hours a day, seven days a week, working with him, and it, it's very hard. It's a very hard program to do, particularly. We also had, by this time, we had my, my daughter, right? She was just a baby. And when we started this, and we would just park her in her uh, car seat in the room where we were working with him, but we worked all day. Mo- more my wife than me, because had, we had a, our own business, and I was trying to keep our business afloat while we were doing this. And we had friends from church who would come and help, take turns helping and the the results were amazing. I mean, we went from him not even being able to hold himself up on all fours. Within a, just a few months, he was crawling a mile a day. And we were so amazed and so excited by that development that we pulled up stakes and moved to Georgia. We wanted to be closer to Philadelphia because we thought we'd be coming back to the clinic multiple times. And uh, But my wife had family in Georgia, and they thought, we thought, well, we can go to Georgia, and we're a day from Texas and a day from uh, from Pennsylvania, so that'll be great. And so we did that. Well, and, and so the next few years, that was what that was all about. And then um, the next big change in our life came when Danny turned three. One of the the only physical problems, as I said, that the Angelman kids have is a seizure disorder, and that starts at age three. And I mean. It started with the vengeance. He almost died. He ended up in the hospital multiple times. And uh, but again, we just discovered an amazing uh, fix for that problem. We uh, came across a neurologist at uh, Children's Medical Center in Atlanta who was working with a program called the uh, the ketogenic diet, which is basically the Atkins diet: the low carb, no fat, or high fat. I'm sorry, low carb, no carb high fat diet and that controls seizures. And so we had him on that diet for two years and that not only did it stop the seizures and which mostly it meant that we didn't have to drug him to handle it because the anti-seizure medications are really, really bad. I mean, they were worse than the seizures in my mind. They just left him as just a 
Right. He was just yeah. totally uh, uh, just a piece of furniture, right? right? I mean, it was heartbreaking to see him. And so, I wanted, but, to, I wanted with, to ask you that, like, like how you know how helpless do you like feel? Because obviously, I mean, obviously, you know, it changes as he gets older. But mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a parent, as a, as a father, you see your son obviously nearly dying from seizures, and then just developing yeah, I, to now, where it's like, yeah, he always well, needs you. So yeah, yeah. Well, so so yeah, I. Uh, um, I have been part of I, my whole life. I've been, I can be a very negative person. I was raised, my father was the, the ultimate optimist. I mean, he, he was a dairy farmer and he had seven kids. And somebody said, if you're not an optimist, you ain't going to make it with farming with seven kids. Right. And so, uh, because your whole life depends on the weather. And so, um, uh, oh, gotcha, but yeah. then, but then my mother, my mother was a very uh, negative, very depressed person, and she always feared the worst. My dad expected the best, and my mother feared the worst, and I got kind of both from uh, from those. And so, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, there were times when I would just, particularly when we went through the seizure thing, I remember I had a job at the time where I traveled during the week, and I would I would be out of town. And so I remember coming back from home, and I was really happy to hear that Danny had responded. I mean, he almost, that was the trip where he, he was in the hospital and almost died. And, uh, but he had come out of the seizure. He was in a seizure for over 24 hours. Well, he had gotten, finally gotten better enough that they had released him and sent him home. And so when I got home, I was all excited. Couldn't wait to see him. And I walked in the room and I'm glad they told me he hadn't died because he looked like he was dead laying there on the, on his bed. I mean, it's like he was totally lifeless. He had no light in his eyes. His eyes were open, but I mean, they were not, he was not responsive. And this was a kid who was full of life. I mean, always getting into stuff, always laughing. I mean, just, he was such a joy to be around and to see this kid just there. I mean, and as even, we had that conversation at night. It's like, are we fighting too hard for him? I mean, is this life, is this worth, you know, fighting this battle, if this is what it's going to be, I don't consider this living. Yeah, I was well, going to ask you, is it, was there ever a part in your mind that crosswords, like, yeah, is it better off for yeah, him to die? Yeah, right. And so, and then the good news is, is that other than the seizures, uh, which can be life-threatening, there's nothing about Angelman syndrome, really, that's life-threatening. And so, but, so once we got him through the seizures, we've never had that problem again. So the next Oh, well, so we put him on the ketogenic diet and that got his seizures under control. And you can do that for two years. So the next two years was all about the ketogenic diet. But at the end of that two year period. So in the meantime, I'm still uh, his mom's staying at home and she's taking care of him and taking care of our daughter and taking him to therapies and all this stuff. And me, I'm I'm going to work. I mean, I, I've got this job. I got to travel. I'm all over the the east coast up and down the east coast uh hiring and training salespeople, and so my I, we were living like two different worlds right there was my world at home that was all about te- taking care of my son then there was the world i live in which was about sales and training and say you know being on the phone for hours every night with salespeople and and appointments and so it was, was that how weird... you were paying for his medical stuff or, but that or yeah his, yeah his insurance yeah 
No, we still didn't have insurance. No, 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 no. no. I, yeah. So, because well, the uh, even though I worked when I first went to work for that company, I was an independent contractor. But then, when they made me a vice president and regional sales manager, I was on company. But it was a small company; they didn't have insurance program, and you know, that wasn't a thing back then, right? People didn't talk much about things like that back in the nineties, right? So, so now. I'm traveling, and finally, uh, I, I did get another job with good benefits that did have insurance. And uh, but by this time, we didn't have a lot of medical issues. Uh, and uh, I guess it was about by this time, Danny's like four, and around four, I think. And I'm I'm not real clear on this because I wasn't at home doing it. But at some point, Danny got qualified for Medicaid. And uh, so then Medicaid took over as far as paying for paying the bills. Well, that had to and help. so, um, but um, anyway, um, and so it was at this point that things, once we got past the ketogenic diet, the, uh, the um, uh, seizures were under control. Uh, we were so far, we had had a big falling out with the institutes over, because uh, they didn't want us to stop doing the program while he we were dealing with the seizures, but we didn't feel like, I mean, we had to deal with the seizures, and we didn't want to do anything that might disrupt from that. They didn't want us putting him on any medication, and so we just kind of parted ways. And and I don't, you know, they did. We had great results with them up to a point, but then it just was a, one. It was a, you know. Re- Diminishing, diminishing returns on the investment of time and energy we were having to put into it. And then just, you know, we just couldn't agree on how to handle the seizures. So we just went our way. And so, but when the seizures were done, now we're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? You know, so we got to try to get, and once Danny got on Medicaid, then he, he was able to get therapy and he was able, I think he started going to school when he was age four or five. I know by five he was there, but I think he actually started going to school at four, and he got therapy at school. Plus, school just gave him an outlet. And and also, you know, by the time he's five, my daughter is four, and she's in preschool. And and so we're having we got two two kids. We got to figure out how to handle here. And so, um, and then we're still, you know, I'm mostly I'm just focused on trying to make as much money as I can to provide as good a life as I can to my wife can stay at home and take care of the kids. So that that's like the next two years. And then, but then when in uh, 2001, at which point in, in, in March of 2001, Danny would have been nine. Um, uh, my wife left, she had gotten a job and she decided to go live with her, her boss. And, and so, Suddenly, <laughs> I'm a single dad, man, and I don't. I and I hadn't. I had been the weekend warrior dad all these years, but somebody had to raise these kids, and so I decided, okay, if I got to do this, I got to go home. I got to go back to where I've got family and friends that can help me. So I moved back to Texas in 2001, and with with kids in tow, no job, no money. No place to live, really. I lived with my brother and sister for a little while so I could find a place to live. But I just went back. I just knew I, I need to go back to Texas. And so that was a big turn. And that was also a big turning point for me also because, like I say, prior to that, 
I was, my wife handled taking care of all of Danny's issues. She dealt with all the therapists, all the doctors, you know, and I just was there on the weekends to kind of help out and uh, deal with the things that need to be dealt with around the house. And, uh, but it was on her. And so now I had a real steep learning curve that I had to, uh, to do. And, 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 but, but I, I was raised to, by a, a very hardworking family man who basically taught me that, you know, you do what you got to do. I mean, that's, I grew up on a dairy farm. And the thing about being in the dairy business is those cows, it doesn't matter if it's raining or snowing or 15 degrees or 115 degrees or grandma died and her funeral's at two o'clock. You still got to milk them cows at six o'clock in the morning and four thirty in the afternoon. So there's just, you just do what you got to do. And so that, that train, I mean, I hated the milking part of growing up on a farm and yet it, it has served me so well because it was just ingrained in me. I mean, the, the thought of not raising my son never entered my mind. It's just, okay, I got to do this and I got to figure out how that works. And so I made a lot of mistakes. I made, but I, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a believer and I believe God really watched over us all and took care of us. And, um, and so we moved moved back to Texas, and now I got a I got a deal not only with restarting everything, getting Danny new therapists, new doctors, and but I'm also dealing with my daughter who's eight and she's in school and she's got her own issues, and uh, you know, and there she Danny is not really aware of the the divorce really had no major impact on Danny. But it had a major impact on my daughter, and so I had to deal with her hurt and her pain and my own hurt and my own pain. And uh, and still, Danny was kind of the – he was the center, right? He just kind of kept us all centered because no matter what happened, you know, he was like the cows that needed to be milked. It didn't matter what was going on in my life if I was heartbroken and and and, and uh, drinking too much to co- to deal with that heartbreak. Uh, I still had to take care of Danny, and uh, right, he was and, like and essentially to, like a distraction, but in in a good way. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, that's what I came to realize is that he was the anchor, mm-hmm. and uh, that that he was what kept me. I made a lot of stupid mistakes with uh, relationships I got involved in, and and uh, and and things that I was doing. Like I say, I was drinking way too much i'd get the kids settled for bed you know get my daughter make sure she had her homework and i'd get danny settled in his bed and about 10 o'clock at night i go sit on my porch and just drink until i passed out basically and this went on every night for you know i was 2001 i moved back out here in 2019 right so 18 years and and through just a and, and, and that was what it, so really the big change then came. I mean, it all became about really about just going through the new normal, as I like to talk about the new normal. This was, and our new normal was my daughter's school and extracurricular activities and Danny's doctor's appointments and therapies and, and, uh, and my work. 
and we everything just revolved around those three big things in our lives and we just kind of I just had to kind of make it all work and and like I say along the way I kept getting involved in bad relationships which were just huge distractions and and just uh a very unhealthy thing, you know, things I was doing and, and, and continuing to drink heavily the whole time. And so finally in 20, oh, let's see, was this, this be, I guess it was 2013, I found a program. I was going to a church and a program came to our church, a Christian based 12 step program called Celebrate Recovery. And I got involved in that. And from the moment I started that program, I quit drinking. And I never have gone back to that. And and part of the deal was is that sometime in the probably the year leading up to that, I had to come to the realization that Danny was really just on a uh, like a treadmill. I mean, he he had no major health problems. He was doing fine at school. He had good teachers. Uh, I had good aftercare help that was paid for through Medicaid. And we just had this routine we were going through. And the biggest threat to Danny's health and welfare, I realized, wasn't his problems. It was mine. And so I needed to get my act together. And that's why I got into recovery. And uh, and they've sent, that's been a wonderful thing because not only have I not had a drink in eight years, but I've, I've actually become a leader in that. I've led the group I was uh, eventually took over as leader of the group I was in in Texas. And then when I moved to Virginia, I joined another group and it turned out they need a leader. And I, I took over their group and then the, that church COVID shut that down. And I just, as in the last couple of weeks, I've become a, an assistant leader in a new Celebrate Recovery group here in Virginia. So I just work with, you know, it's given me a real opportunity to broaden my horizons and quick question. Yeah. Um, well, one, congratulations on your sobriety. Oh, thanks. Um, did did you have a bottom? Like, did you hit bottom as far as your alcoholic problem, or did or, uh, or did you no. just so happily run into that program and it was just like okay, right? I yes. Do well, so yes. So uh, I was a very high functioning alcoholic. That was the thing. I uh, never missed work. I never got arrested. I never. You know, I never, you know, did what so many of the people I'm in recovery with have done where they, it's like they woke up and they had lost their, everything they owned, right? They're in jail and they had lost their job, their family, their house, their car. None of that ever happened to me because again, that's where Danny kept me grounded. It's like, there's only so, I can only go so far because you know what? I, there have been times, I can remember times when I would, and I rarely got roaring, rip roaring drunk because it would never fail. Though that would be the night that Danny would have a diarrhea diaper, right? That I'd have to deal with. And also, up until just a few years ago, he did have an ongoing seizure issue. About once a year, he would go into seizures, and he'd end up in the hospital. And and it would be just a temporary thing. And that we just, so now I have medication that I give him to. Um, to um, in case if he so what causes him to have seizures now is if he gets the flu or strep throat or something like that that lowers his seizure threshold and if he starts having a fever then that really lowers his seizure threshold so what I have to do is I have this medicine and if I see him getting you know 
having a runny nose or coughing or a lot or any kind of, you know, showing any kind of illness, I will, uh, I'll start him on that medication to kind of head off the seizure activity. But uh, even with that, I mean, I, I occasionally we would have seizure breakthroughs. So having him to be, you know, having to always be taking care of him, I never did have that big crisis moment. It's just that mine was more uh, uh, just a constant. I mean, I could never break. I was I was never hit the bottom, but I could never break off the bottom either, right? I mean, even I would have good days, but then I would always seem like I'll always end back up at the bottom of my my bottoms were just very dark depressions and uh, just uh, just despairing. And so, yeah, no, I I never. I, I always tell people I, I never had a breakdown because I never had time for a breakdown. <laughs> I, got, I got things I got to do. So <laughs> did you so, um, quickly, did, did you ever yeah. have a conversation with your daughter on, you know, because obviously kids and they have jealousy issues. And did you ever have a conversation with your daughter where you basically had to tell her that you had to give him more attention? Do you know uh, what I mean? Yes. Well, yes, we've had that kind of, I have a wonderful relationship with my daughter and it, and it, you know, there were those conversations along the way, um, you know, um, uh, I don't remember ever just sitting there down and having the conversation, right? I, right it would right. come up in, you know, she's got a, a softball game or she's on the spirit crew at the football game and she wants me to come see her, but I've got to take him to a doctor's appointment or he's too sick. Or I can't, you know, the weather's too bad. I can't take him out into the really cold, rainy weather to see her do what she's going to do. And I just, or it happened a lot, it seemed like, with her volleyball games that I was either, it seemed like I was always either taking him to a doctor appointment or I was actually having to work. I think we had more conversations about why I had to work because I had to save up uh, any off days and any holidays I could get or vacation days, personal time days, I had to save those for Danny's doctor's appointments. And so like if she had something going on, there were just a lot of times where I'm like, I can't do this because I don't have time off from work. And, and I did, I mean, we did have that conversation though. That she, and she, I won't say that she totally accepted it, but she didn't, she was a real good sport about it. Right. And I, I actually, um, I just had a conversation with her husband, my son-in-law, a few weeks ago, and he brought something up about that. And so I think she has shared some with him about her disappointment and her frustration. But she, I, she's a very sweet girl, and she saw that I was really struggling a lot uh, emotionally. And so she would not uh, bother me sometimes. I mean, she just kind of, you know, sucked it up, uh, and because she saw that me doing that like there was a lot of things that i'd do that i didn't want to do but i just had to suck it up and do it right and so that was just one of those things and that's uh i think that's one of the reasons she and i have such a great relationship now though is because i appreciate the sacrifices that she and she also appreciates the sacrifices i did make for her in light of the fact that i did have because sadly um when a lot of the times when she had things going on, either with church or with school, I might be the only dad who would show up. I'd show up with Danny in tow, 
but but so there were and and I think that was also a part. Of, he's looking around, going, "Well, my dad, he's here, and he's got this kid, this other kid to take care of, and her dad's not here, and he doesn't have that issue, right?" So so it, that is a um, uh, that's a that's a huge family dynamic that uh, that I try to um, you know in the special needs world those fam- family dynamics. That's just the reality, right? That that's and 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 for me, I was in my family the most. Uh, when I tell my give my testimony about my drinking, I tell people that the most important thing, the most uh, dynamic thing that happened to me as a young kid happened three years before I was born, because my brother that was five years older than me. Uh, when he was three, he fell backwards into a vat of boiling lye water and was almost scalded to death. But he didn't. He didn't die. And so because of that, my, bro- my father felt so guilty about almost killing his son that he spent the rest of his life um, just doing everything he could for my brother. And so my dad loved all of us seven kids, but he loved my brother, or at least it seemed like he loved him more than he loved the rest of us, right? He got... He got away with stuff and he got things and my dad did things with him and for him that he would not do and, uh, for the rest of us. And so I'm the next one alone line and I grew up thinking, okay, I'm seeing my brother, the answer, whatever he wants, the answer is yes. Whatever I want, the answer is no. So they must like him better than they like me. And I came to the conclusion is, well, it's me, right? There's nothing special about him. He's not super smart or super good looking. I mean, so it must be that I'm just not good enough. And so that really impacted my self-esteem. And, and so in a way, you know, I think I, I, I went through sort of the same things my daughter went through where I, I grew up in his shadow, just like my daughter. You know, I think one of the things that bothered her the most is when she was in school she had no identity of her own. She was known as Danny's little sister. Everybody said, oh, you're Danny's little sister, right? And so that I think that worked on her as much as anything. But, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's just there's so many, you know, issues that um, that we deal with in this, in this world. And, they're, you know, that's part of the whole isolation thing that we all deal with, too, because um, when you have a – handicap a child who doesn't know how to behave himself i mean i never have taken danny to a movie uh now his mom has tried taking him to a movie and it didn't work out well but i i never even tried i don't take him uh there's just many places i would not take him and and so because of that uh, my daughter didn't i mean we didn't go to the movies when i you know when they were kids and and i guess if i have a regret is i did not when she got older, I started making some attempts to take her out on dates. Uh, she and I went to the theater uh, once in Dallas, out to dinner in the theater. But I wish I'd have done a lot more of that when she was younger, but I didn't. So, you know, I, again, it, we all survived and and uh, and we all have good relationships. But uh, um, uh, it's uh, that's a, it's a challenge. I mean, you just you cannot you can't and and you you can't just ignore it. Um, we did have conversations about uh, about that. Um, I was always very proud of her that she was not angry at. She never expressed anger or jealousy of my my son, 
nor was she ever embarrassed by him. I mean, she may be embarrassed at school when he would be in the cafeteria throwing food and everybody's laughing <laughs> at right, him. Right. But on a, and as a rule, she was not. And her friends all accepted Danny, too. And so, in fact, she worked when she was in uh, senior in high school. She actually worked as an aide in the special needs class. And she came oh, to love cool. all, not not. So, yeah, it's... Um, so it's been a journey. It's been a, it's just been, and it continues to, you know, I've spent the day, um, trying to get Danny dental care. And, uh, that's a challenge. You can't just take him to any dentist because he's got to be sedated right. to, cause he, he's, and so nobody does that. I mean, no, and, uh, there's, there's one clinic in the whole state of Virginia that will take him and, and, and I not have to pay. If I take him to a private dentist, I have to pay for anesthesia at a rate of $165 every 15 minutes. And so they figure an hour and a half to two hours just for the cleaning part. And so, and then every procedure they do is about double. So just to get his x-rays and his teeth clean and an exam was going to be somewhere around $1,400. And then we start talking about, well, if there's a cavity or, you know, he needs a crown or what. I mean, now we're, now we're talking real money. And so, but I did fine. I mean, they've been, they were closed. We started this a year ago and then we had him set up and then COVID shut everything down. Right. And, uh, and so, and I just kind of let it slide, but just in the last week he started acting like maybe he's got a, a toothache. And so fortunately I, sent out uh, uh, email to them today and they responded that um, you know they are taking appointments so we'll see um, but, yeah, yeah okay so because um, one of the things we talked about off air and, and, and something I should say is that one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview besides obviously all the things you've said is that you know parents don't get enough shine as far as how they take care of the child and, and you know because the child usually gets all the you know which they should but you know, everyone knows what they go through, but no one really knows what the parent has to go through. Um, can you just like share like what a basic day is with, with him? Like what you have to do for yeah, him? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and I totally, that's, that's a, um, uh, I'm involved with a, uh, a group here in Virginia, uh, that works with churches to help them develop ministries. Cause most churches, only about 15% of churches have a ministry for, special needs uh, people. Well, the thing is, Danny is, I mean, you can teach him a Bible story, but he's probably not going to react to it because he probably doesn't understand it. He he has pretty good receptive language as far as commands. I can tell him to do something and he'll do it, but, you know, he's not going to really grasp uh, uh, any theological uh, ideas or concepts. However, that program, what I needed from a special needs program at my church is I needed them to just take him and hang out with him while I go to church. And I needed somebody to take him and hang out with him while I go to my recovery meetings on Friday nights. And it is a huge deal. So, so yes, uh, that parents tend to get, you know, depending on what our, what your level is, uh, the child's level, uh, it, it can be, I mean, every child's different, and uh, so everybody has different needs. 
So for me, because Danny is totally dependent on me, um, the day now that I'm retired, because when I moved here, I retired. And so now it's pretty easy. I mean, we get up and I have my breakfast and Danny's not a big breakfast eater. So I'll get up and I'll get him up and I change him, change his diaper and get him dressed and make up the beds and uh, do laundry. And then I'll, uh, we'll, um, uh, usually in the mornings, we'll go for our walk and I put him in his wheelchair and I push him three to five miles and then we come back and I feed him lunch. And then, um, you know, he watches TV and uh, I um, do what I do, either work in the yard or read or write or do something, right? And, and there are, as I did today, I spent probably three hours uh, talking to different places, trying to get him first a dentist appointment and second a doctor's appointment. So it's just, uh, you know, and then tonight I'll feed him dinner and uh, uh, get him, I'll have to dress him. Uh, change his, change him, you know, rediaper him, you know, and and get him ready for bed and get him to bed, and hope that he sleeps through the night. Night before last, he was up at two o'clock in the morning and never went back to sleep. So I, I was really beat yesterday because he he kept me up all night. So, right. uh, so yeah, and 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 for some people, they it seems like they spend their whole days, uh, taking their kids to therapy therapy appointments and doctor's appointments and counseling. And, and so you, um, uh, and see all this was going on when I was working. And so I had a job back in Texas. My job required me to work, um, usually six days a week and, uh, eight to 10 hours every day. And so, I had to have a babysitter. Uh, there was a lady who watched him for me during the day. I would drop him off. I had to drive 15 miles to her house, drop him off. And at the end of the day, I had to drive 15 miles back too. So I had to add that in an extra hour every day for me. Cause I've got a 30 minute round trip to drop him off. I got a 30 minute round trip to pick him up. Uh, and then the state in their, uh, wisdom, they cut me back on the hours that they would pay for, uh, child care for him. They kept me from, I started out with like 60 hours a week, which was great. And they would not pay me to do that in the state of Texas. I could not be his paid caretaker. Well, then they kept me back to 40, which is fine. I was working 40. I was working more than 40, but my boss was okay with me taking him with me. But then in the last year I was there, for some reason, they kept me back to 29 hours a week. Well, that's 11 hours short of my 40 hour week. And like I say, I was working more like a 60 hour week. So he just, again, my boss let me take him with me. So either I took him with me or I uh, had to pay out of my pocket for the uh, uh, worker to uh, take care of him. And so, uh, and I still had to deal with, you know, if there was a doctor's appointment, I had to take off work to do that. Uh, I was very fortunate. I always had bosses who were very understanding of my uh, situation and did not challenge me on it. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, uh, on the one hand, it's uh, – uh, I remember talking once. I uh, had a friend who was in the fire department, and he was like, it's hours and days of just total boredom interspersed with minutes and maybe a few hours of just total madness. 
And that's the way, <laughs> yeah. that's a good way to describe raising a handicapped child because most of the time it's just your routine. This is your normal and you are, you are married to it. I mean, you, it is, you know, you don't, I can, I can do kind of whatever I want to do, but I can't do it on the, I can't just, if you said, Hey, let's meet for dinner. I can't do that. I mean, I, it'll take me a half a day to find somebody to watch nanny for me. Uh, now that my daughter has a, a newborn, a, you know, a five month old baby, I can't just ask her to watch him. Right. So I, you know, it's just, so y- y- you've always got this, uh, we are truly joined at the hip, right? And so if I, I either have to do things where I can take him or I have to really go through a lot of uh, um, hoops to to make make all the arrangements to have him taken care of while I'm, I'm out. And I'm fortunate that, um, you know, I have the financial means to, to do most of that. I mean, I can. It's not going to break me. If I have to spend a hundred dollars for somebody to watch Danny for an evening, so I can go out to dinner with some friends, right. but I know there are people that it, that is a a break point, right? And then and the other thing too, this is another way that it, things you know it affects your life. One of the reasons I moved to Virginia, I was so mad after being. I mean, I love the state of Texas. I was born and raised there, but they just totally screwed us on that when they when they cut me back to thirty nine. 29 hours a week it's like well what you've done is you put me out of a job i can't i can't continue and i i did that for about oh i don't know a year and then i finally just broke i was just going i was meeting myself coming and going and uh, and my job was really hard and demanding and then at the end of the day i couldn't just go home and plop down and and uh just chill because i i got to drive out and get danny and i gotta bring him home and i gotta feed him and bathe him and get him to bed and and then next morning i got to get up an extra hour early so i can get him down to his uh, where his babysitter is and so uh, it was just it was just too much i mean it just truly i reached the breaking point thank goodness that i wasn't drinking then because i would have been drinking really heavily during all that because i was so stressed out right. and so when when it came i i'd intended when i turned 67 uh, well, when I turned 65, I said, well, I'm not going to retire until I'm 67. If I could hold off until I'm like 69 to start taking Social Security, I can make more. I can get more money. Well, I made it to 67, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. i, I got to take my Social Security now because I'm going to give up my paycheck. But then I moved up here. And what's amazing is once I get here to Virginia, I find out that the state of Virginia will or the commonwealth of virginia to be correct the commonwealth will pay me to be danny's full-time caretaker so now i'm in good good shape because i can draw my social security and i can get paid to be so any if if uh we're we're probably going to move to the midwest after my son-in-law gets out of the navy and i'm already researching out there and it looks like where we're going i won't have any problem you know getting paid out there but if, cool. uh, there's no way I'd ever move back to Texas because they they won't support. I mean, they have very poor, very poor social services. Right. And do, so, um, do do you do you uh do you notice or is there a change in you as far as you're willing to want to take care of them now being sober? Like, was there a change? Um, oh no, uh, um, uh, I again, it's just 
the, the thought of not taking care. In fact, so the way it works now is uh, he goes to his mom. mom. His mom lives in Atlanta, and she gets him uh, uh, minimally. She gets him uh, two weeks in the summer and one week at Christmas. And because I'm living out here now, when we were in Texas, we were uh, about a 14-hour drive from Atlanta. And so that we pretty much all those years, that's kind of, that was the schedule. But now I'm about nine hours away, and we have a granddaughter. She has a granddaughter that lives here with us, so she wants to see the grandchild. So she's seeing him more and taking him more uh, than she used to. And which it gives me a break, but, but, uh, that's great for about two days and then I miss it. And, uh, so no, I, I, uh, 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 he just, it, he's just a part of my life, right? I mean, he's just, some days he's a good part of my life and some days he's kind of a nuisance part of my life, but he's a part of my life. And it's just, I just don't, I don't even think about the possibility of, of life without him. And uh, certainly I cannot imagine. In fact, <clears throat> I, uh, at this past Christmas, um, I, uh, had to go out. A friend of mine's mother died and I went to Texas. And, um, so I took him to Atlanta to stay with his mom for Christmas and I flew out to Texas. And, um, when I came back, um, I had COVID. I got COVID while I was out there. And so I came home and for the next two weeks, I laid in bed just sick as a dog. And in fact, there was a couple of days there where I just didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And uh, I was coughing so bad, but I was, I would not, I wasn't going to go to the hospital until it just got to be to where it was dangerous for me not to go to the hospital. And uh, so I, I sucked it up and got through it. But I remember laying there and thinking it was just breaking my heart that, you know, if I did die, I would never get to see, you know, I wasn't going to get to see my son again. And and that was why I wouldn't go in the hospital because I knew if I go in the hospital, they won't let me ever see him and I wouldn't get to see my grandbaby again in person, right? And so, that yeah, the thought of him, I just can't imagine my life without him in it, even though, I mean, yes, there are days when he's just a real pill and he's wearing me out. And, uh, but I, I, you know, I don't want him to go away. I just want him to act a little better and right. give me a break. <laughs> but, but again, I mean, I'm just, um, you know, it's, uh, no, I, 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 and being sober is actually the, one of the nice things about being sober is that my mind is more clear and I'm more appreciative, uh, of things. And, uh, I'm appreciative of the fact that uh, uh, I was able to find a program to get sober so I could enjoy these years. And, and not just with him, but with my daughter and my son-in-law and now my grandbaby. I mean, my life is really full now. And I, if I was still drinking, um, it was never full. I mean, e- even the good times weren't that good. You know, that's what's crazy about drinking is you drink so you can enjoy things. But it becomes when the drinking becomes the main focus, then the joy goes out of everything else, right? And so you only enjoy the drinking, but you don't even enjoy the drinking all that much. I mean, it just it's a it's a, a crazy thing to do, but I did it 
you know, that's why we call it stinking thinking from drinking. You know, that I did that for many, many years. I mean, heavily for, for 10 years. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, so if anything, I'm, and also by being in recovery, I'm what drives me these days is when, you know, gives, I have a lot of passion for is not only, uh, uh, reaching out to pa- other parents with special needs and, and, and just to tell them, you know, Hey, you're not alone. You know, you, you there, we get it. We understand. And, and, and to go to churches who I think are the best, they should be the focal point because they do every church. If they're not sitting in the church already, then shame on the church because I guarantee you you could walk a half a mile in any direction from any church and walk up and down the streets and you would find people there who are isolated because they've got a special needs mother or I mean it, it, and that's the thing about special needs is it's always changing so that a special needs person may be somebody like my son who was born with a genetic defect but it could be somebody who you know, messed up their body and their mind with drugs and alcohol, or it could be somebody who was in a wreck, or it could be, I have, my father had senile dementia and, uh, I have a, um, an older two sisters who are now in one's in her seventies and other one's in her eighties. And they're both in, uh, in nursing homes now with senile dementia. And so people are caring for, um, you know, you've got people, caretakers, I have a real heart for caretakers because they're all over the place. And so, yeah, I, I have a heart for the people who are actually suffering from the mental illness, but I also have a heart for the caretakers of those people because they're they're the ones doing the Lord's work, right? They're the ones that are making the hard decisions and, and going, you know, getting doing the phone calling to schedule appointments and making sure that the person they're taking care of is is taking their medications and is doing the things that they need to be doing. And so it's, um, it's a life. It's, it's, it's a life unto itself and it can be very, uh, it can just weigh you down. It's just like never ending, you know, you just never get a break. And yet it is to me, it's, I don't, my life wouldn't mean anything. I mean, I've done a lot of interesting things in my life, but, if I hadn't raised my son, my special needs son, I wouldn't have, I would not be able to point to any one thing about my life and say there was a life worth living <laughs> because, and, but, and it's given me a real heart and an understanding for other people. And so that's, that's what, that's what inspires me now is to just go and serve and, and encourage those people and share, share their burdens. You know, the Bible tells us we're to share one another's burdens. And that just may be just sitting and talking to somebody or listening to somebody else talk. And so that's, that's, that's why, and that's why, you know, I wrote a book about all this and I published, it came out in January and that's what my goal was with the book. And it's not, you know, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, the next um, Stephen King here, you know, it's not selling tens of millions of copies, but I'm a, I, what makes me feel good is the people who have read the book, they, they, they respond to me in, and tell me that, wow, this book really, 
that really touched me, right? It re- I, I, I totally understand. I totally see, and, you know, it reminded me of something, you know, that happened in their life. So that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm all about. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like I said, I'm very happy we met, and uh, like I said, you're an awesome guy. I'm very, like I said, it's good that he has you, honestly. You know, obviously, <laughs> you know, who knows where he would be if, if both of it, you know, like if you would have gave up on him too, like, who knows where yeah. he would be if he would even still well, be alive? Well, yeah, or... and well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I kind of have an. I mean, I've got some ideas where he could be, and they're not good. They're not good, right? I mean, uh, you know, there are group homes out there, and that is, but that's not. I never want him to end up in a group home, not because that is um, uh, a terrible place to go. Some of them can be. Some of them can be quite good. However. I do believe that you're best cared for in an environment with people that love you and, and have known you and, uh, you know, have known your, know your history. And so if I can work things so that he can stay out of a group home after I'm gone, then, then that does two things. One, it, it provides, I think, a better environment for him, but two, it, it keeps, that spot open for somebody who doesn't have that option because there's a whole lot of people out there. And unfortunately the special needs can people, if, if they go nowhere else, they end up in nursing homes. And, um, and, um, my, uh, and, and again, there are good nursing homes and there's bad, but, uh, I mean, they, they have to have that care. I mean, the higher functioning ones, unfortunately end up, a lot of them end up on the street. They're homeless. They're the people you see sitting down by Walmart, you know, but, um, but then the, um, you know, uh, so I, I, I don't want that for my son and, and I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that, but also there's that the other part too of being a, a caregiver is I not only have to protect my son, but I got to protect my daughter. And I've told her all along you, you will eventually have to be responsible for his care, but does that does not mean you have to give him the care. He qualifies for programs that will pay for caregivers. I just need you to make sure that he's taken care of. So, you know, we'll hopefully we'll provide for him financially when I'm gone. He'll have a place to live and he'll have his, you know, uh, income that he gets through Social Security and then through the Medicaid that pays for his caregiver and, um, and, uh, and he'll be, he'll be okay. I mean, he'll have his life and really his life never changes that much. So, and who knows, maybe, maybe they'll, you know, in the next 10 years, CRISPR technology will come along in such a way that they'll be able to fix the DNA, uh, fix, fix his DNA and it'll, it'll, you know, fix all the issues he's got and he'll be able to, function at a much higher level than he does now who knows but um gotta stay positive but also stay realistic yeah oh yeah well that's the thing is that you just you know just do what you you do and 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 uh and but but the other thing i also tell people when i do my testimony is that after years i mean people ask me what's wrong with Danny? What's, what's it, what's the deal? Right. And I tell them about Angelman syndrome and it's a chromosomal defect and it manifests in these ways. I said, but here's what I finally learned. It took me about 10, 15 years to get this, but 
Danny is exactly the person that God intended him to be. Danny has amazing impact. I spend my life trying to touch people and uh, to to uh, make them feel good about themselves and make them to believe. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, as a believer, my job is to kind of uh, make at least give people the opportunity to see what I see and believe what I believe, right? And so, but Danny touches more people and encourages more people just by being Danny than I can with all the work that I do in teaching and ministering and because Danny, he has just this gift. And when we go for walks in the neighborhood, if I just go by myself, if Danny's all business mom, and I go for a walk in my neighborhood, I'm just another old guy out walking the streets, right? But if I'm pushing Danny in a wheelchair, everybody notices. And I've had people stop their cars and get out to talk to us. Uh, people come out of their yards to talk to us. And it's not me. They want to see Danny. And he's always got a big grin on his face. And he just makes you can't be around him uh, and not feel uh, uh, better. I used to, we, we went to a church in Texas and we had this big glass front on the, and so and I would, I taught in children's ministry a lot. And I would stand off to the side and I would park Danny by the front door. And then I would go off and do my stuff that I was waiting for my kids to come out of church so I could get them and take them to class. I'm watching. And these, as people came in the front door, you could see them. I mean, they would walk through and they'd have a frown on their face. And then there was Danny. And they'd see him and they would immediately break into a smile. And they might come over and give him a high five or pat him on the head. But just, just his presence just made them feel a sense of joy and and so danny is exactly we all have i mean there god has a plan for danny's life just like he has a plan for mine and for yours i mean we all have this plan and our goal is to find it and so i think i mean danny is danny and he just and he kept me from going off the deep end i think because of that he helped my daughter keep her from going off the deep end when we were in a very uh critical point of uh, in our lives and and he's brought so much joy to the doctors he encounters of uh, other students i mean where he went to school when i go back there if i run into any of his classmates at um uh i'm in walmart i'll have people come up to me i've had this happen time and time again i don't know who these kids are but they know me because they know my, i'm danny's dad and they will come over and ask me about danny and they'll always have some funny story to tell about something he did when he was in school. I think he was the only kid to ever get kicked out of a pep rally for being too loud. <laughs> so, wow. uh, uh, and, and, uh, because he was loud at the time when uh, somebody was trying to speak. Uh, and so they came and got him and pushed him out. But, but, uh, but yeah, he is, uh, he, everybody in school knew Danny. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he's he's got that, and, and that's sometimes in my walk, I have to step back and go, you know what? My job today is to just push Danny in his chair so he can meet, these, so they can see him. These other people can see him, and I'm okay with that, you know, and so that's, that's the, uh, I've been greatly blessed, greatly blessed. The, he's the celebrity, you're the butler. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So, uh, uh, because he brings me a lot of, uh, you know, again, 
people will listen to what I say because they see me pushing Danny and they make, they either have questions or they start making assumptions about me based on that fact. And that's okay. I mean, that's part of the plan. That's, you know, that's the way if my job is to spread a message, I need to get their attention some way. And Danny can always get attention for me. So sometimes when I don't even want it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, buddy, I thank you for doing this. This was fun. Yeah, I just want to, uh, okay, I'll make a pitch for my book. It's called The Silent Sun, and it's available as a paperback or as an ebook. You can get it at Amazon. So When it com- uh, um, when this episode comes out, I will ask you for a link, and I'll put it in the bottom of the description. Okay, great. Yeah, that will be great. So, um, But, yeah, man, I, I wish you, I mean, again, I hope we keep in touch. Um, yeah. Like I said, well, I. Thank I, you for the work you're doing. I mean, we just, we're both. Just, I think we're going after the same thing. We're just trying to reach out to people who feel hurt and lost and confused and alone, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and we're not. We're not. None of us are alone. We're all in this together. It's just that we were already kind of disjointed, and then COVID made it even worse. And so, right. if if nothing else, I think the upside the COVID pandemic is that it's made everyone appreciate the the dangers of being isolated. And, uh, and it's made us want to be a, hopefully more people want to be a part of the solution. One, because they need it themselves. You know, we need to reach out for our own mental health. Right. And, uh, and that's the thing is I'm much, I'm a much healthier person because I work with, uh, you know, people in recovery and I help them walk through their issues. And also I used to coach special needs baseball and that was a great thing too, because I got to be get to know other people with their special needs and their challenges, and their parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents that were helping take care of them, and realize we're all we're all in the same boat, right? We're all, and uh, but that's okay. That's okay. If you need me to row for you for a while, I'll do that. Give me that oar, and I'll 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 pull for a while. So another thing is like you know uh, what what we're going after, you know, whether it's addiction homelessness uh you know people with disability like mm-hmm. they intertwine into everything whether it comes yeah. to race gender whatever people yeah. are worried about like all those communities should fight for those same problems as well because like i said we're in every every doesn't matter what you look like it if we're yeah. all affected by those things and whether a, a household or whatever we, yeah. or we know somebody a friend a family a lover whatever we know someone that's suffering from something from something yes i mean that's in our recovery celebrate recovery uh, we say we're we're here for life's hurts, habits, and hangups. You probably got w- at least one of those, if not all three, right? Everybody's got a hurt, everybody's got a bad habit, and everybody's got a hangup, right? And for some people, it's alcohol and drugs. For some people, it's just depression and isolation, and and for some people, it's a mental handicap, you know, or a physical handicap. Right. But you know, what, when people come to our group as a leader for years, I've told people, newcomers, when they come in, I tell them, well, we don't have a special 10-point program when we have the 12 steps, but you can work the 12 steps and not be anywhere farther along than you were when you started. I said, all we have is the love of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of people of like mind who are walking the same road you're walking so you're not walking it alone anymore, right? So, and that's really all we are. I mean, we just we're just here to help and to walk with you. And we don't have any special knowledge, uh, but we we understand. We understand what what's happening. So, right. 
Well, again, buddy, thank you again, and you know, I I, right. I hope you nothing but the best. Um, like I said, I hope well, anything thank you. anything you wish for, I hope you obtain it because you deserve it. So, right. um, okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, buddy, thank you. All right, bye. All right, buddy. Bye. All right, guys, that was that was awesome. I know he's kind of wordy and very talkative and i hate to keep cutting them off but you know i have to say some something i have to pretend like i'm on this damn thing uh when you hear the next episode i say even very little on that one <laughs> um no I, I love ken he's a great guy man i i you know i'm in awe of what he what he sacrifices for his life like i don't know how you you can't even blame the guy for drinking like there's, there's a lot that goes into it and as i said i, I wanted to sh you know put a shadow on I wanted to put a light on um, parents because that's that's especially in his his case because he's a parent for the rest of his life, and that's something that people don't really uh, give any admiration to. A lot of times they want to when they do care and they do give credit or, or whatever they go look how much that person overcomes with their disability and 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 well deserving. But when it comes to the parent. You don't know what they gave up and when they sacrificed, especially the ones that stick around and actually put the time in and gave a shit. Um, and, and someone like him deserves nothing but admiration and, and respect and love. So um, so thank you to him. And, uh, yeah, guys, thank you for the support. And uh, I'll, I'll see you on the next one. As again, the next one, I don't say a whole lot. <laughs> so you may miss me. Uh, no, he's a good guy. I just And there's some really good words in there. It's just... Uh, he's a very wordy person as well. Um, but it's okay. Like I said, it, it, it means something and, and it's something I'm, I'm trying to, uh, introduce into my life. I, 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 you know, I do these podcasts and you may think it's just like, I'm, I'm trying to give this to the world, but I, I listen to, and I try to, uh, if it's some technique or somebody who somebody is saying, Oh, you know, here's. You know, I just realized, I thought the birds were on his end. The birds are on my end. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so if you hear birds, I was going to blame him, but it was me. Um, my window's open. I'll leave it for, for Mr. Belletto. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, I, I like to listen to these people. And if it's a technique that I can use in my life and, and use it as an instrument and to make my life better, to make me happier, I'm going to do it. Uh, and that's a car. Um, so you guys, I, again, love you guys, love the support, I appreciate it, uh, it really means a lot to me, um, no matter how much I get down about it, or, or I want more people to listen, you know, 100 people each episode, or whatever it is, 120, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, I, I appreciate the hell out of it, I don't, I can't believe anybody even wants to listen to me, so I, I really appreciate it, um, so yeah, I will see you guys on the next one, and uh, everybody take care, hang in there, alright, bye-bye.